let's go to Exodus 34. Verse 28 says, Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He's in the Mount Sinai. He did neither eat bread nor drink water, and he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount that Moses didn't know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with, it, with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him. And Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came nigh. And he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And till Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and he spake unto the children of Israel that which he was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. Now Moses here is a type of Christ our mediator. He's a type of Christ. Like Moses, Christ fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Like Moses, he was there with the Lord those 40 days and 40 nights. When he walked this earth, he, he didn't eat. Uh, when he fasted, he neither did eat bread nor drink water. He was sustained by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The word of God's our life. It's our bread. Temporary things are temporary. Temporal things are temporary. We live by the word of God. Moses came down with the old covenant. He came down with the Ten Commandments written on stone. Now, be sure to note that God says those Ten Commandments were the covenant. That was the covenant. He wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now, all the rest of the laws included under the Old Covenant, but this right here is what he came down with written on stones. Those stone tablets had been broken previously. They'd been broken previously. We broke the Ten Commandments in Adam. We broke the whole law of God. And born with a corrupt nature that breaks it constantly. Only God in Christ restored the law. He honored and magnified his law. Only God does that. That means Christ is the only one that ever kept the law. You and I never have. Christ came down with the law in his heart. Just like Moses, when he came down, he put those tablets in the ark under the mercy seat. God said, that's where I'll meet you. He didn't put them in their hands. He put them in the ark under the mercy seat. Christ is our ark. He's the one whose blood has made propitiation, and he's that propitiation. He's that seat of mercy where God will meet with you, where his blood covers the whole law. He said, I'll meet with you there. 
Now the glory in Moses' face. What do we see here? It says, verse 29, It came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in his hand, he came down from the mount, and Moses wished not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. What was, who was Moses talking to in the mount? Well, there's only one mediator. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't have any doubt that's who Moses was speaking with in the mount. He beheld the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. That's where we behold it. And that's where all light comes from. The the countenance of our Lord Jesus. Look upon us with your countenance, Lord, and we shall live. Look upon us with your countenance and we 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 will live and follow thee. And it's through the glory of Christ's face, all his glory, that he gives us light in every way. In every way. And, and he teaches us that he obeyed. He teaches us what the law says to us. And he teaches us by that that we're dead in sins, incapable of keeping his law. And he teaches us his commandment to believe on him. Through, through whom we've fulfilled the law. He teaches us to love one another. He teaches us the law of liberty. Setting us free from the yoke of bondage. Never again to be entangled therewith. He teaches us the law of Christ. The law of love. Which is to bear one another's burdens. And restore one another to Christ. Christ teaches us this. He teaches us this. The law says don't kill. Well then how, was, how come Abraham went up that mountain and was going to kill Isaac? If you're just looking at the letter of the law, that's going to leave you very confused. You're not going to understand why why Abraham, in God's eye, killed his son. In his heart, he killed his son. And God said it was a work of faith that he declared, showed that he had faith in Christ. We won't understand that until we have newness of spirit from Christ by his glory teaching us that everything we, we do, we do it looking to Christ. That's why Moses, I mean, Abraham was accepted. He was looking to Christ. How come if your letter of the law says to you, you don't don't bear false witness? Well, you're going to be confused when you go to James and he says, look at Rahab, how she lied to those spies and how that's a beautiful work of faith. You got to be seeing Christ. You got to be looking to Christ to understand that what she did, she did for the glory of Christ. And God said it was an evidence of faith in her heart. The shining on his face also declares that the old covenant, the Ten Commandments, was glorious. They were glorious. Go to 2 Corinthians 3, and you'll want to mark 2 Corinthians 3. We'll come back and forth. But that, that old covenant, that law was glorious. 2 Corinthians 3, verse uh, 6, Paul says, God has made us able ministers of the New Testament, the New Covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. That's what I was just speaking about, the Spirit. We have to know the Spirit. If we just know the letter, we're not going to understand things. We have to know the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, we just saw that was the Ten Commandments, right? It was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance. That's the first thing we see there, 
It shows us something of the glory of the old covenant. It was glorious. How was the Ten Commandments glorious? Because they were a killing letter. Glorious as a killing letter. That's what he said. Glorious as the ministration of death, given to administer death to those God makes to hear it. It was glorious as a ministration of condemnation. That was the purpose. Paul asked, Where then, why then, what serves the law? He was given because of transgression. He was given to teach you and me our sin. That's what it's for. It only speaks to those who are under it. It's the only ones it speaks to. But to everybody that's under it, it says, you're dead. You're condemned. You're a liar. You've never kept me. Paul said, I thought it was ordained to life. I thought God ordained it to life. I thought I was supposed to keep that law to live. I thought it was a rule of life. He said, but then Christ made the commandment came, and I come and I found out he ordained it to death. And my self-righteous self died. And all my works died when I heard the law speak. Really speak to me. Well, I keep the law. You let somebody honk at you at a, at a traffic light and see if you keep the law. You let somebody cut you off in traffic, see if you keep the law. When that anger swells up, you just killed somebody. And God says, you never kept it. You never kept it. And here's something else. That law, that purpose, the Ten Commandments, not only administration of death, not a rule of life, administration of death. Here's something else. The glory on Moses' face foreshadowed that if that old covenant of Ten Commandments was glorious, his new covenant is far more glorious. Now look here. Look, that new covenant excels. It excels. Look there in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, it excels. He says, if the ministration of death was glorious, so that the children of Israel couldn't behold Moses' face for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, that old, that covenant, those commandments were to be done away. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For the ministration of condemnation was glorious, much more that the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect. <laughs> he said, I didn't even have glory in this respect, but reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. The new covenant excels because the covenant it excels the covenant of the law because Christ through it gives spiritual life. The letter gave death. Christ gives us life, eternal life, never to die. You know the only way you can have eternal life is if you have no sin? The only way you can have eternal life, it means it's equal with righteousness. That means the law says that to me. The law says you're righteous. Law says you have no sin. You won't, you've never had any in the past. You don't have any in the present. You won't have any in the future, ever. That's how God says, that's, what, that's the glory of this life and this righteousness. It ministers to us. The Ten Commandments cease being precepts to us, and they become promises that we've already kept in Christ. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. You've done it perfectly. In Christ. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You've already done it perfectly in Christ. You can't not do it. 
That's the promise. It's the promise of God. You worship God only. If a man's righteous by Christ, that means he's fulfilled the law. If a man is, is, has life, he has a perfect standing before the law in Christ our righteousness. And, and the law wasn't made for a righteous man. Look at that. Look at, listen to 1 listen to, uh, uh, Timothy in, in chapter 1 and verse 5. Listen, this is what I've been saying. The end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. That's that new heart we saw this morning, and there's the law of love. That's the statute. Christ said, I'm going to write on their heart, and they're going to keep my law. And here's the other, and a good conscience and faith unfeigned. He writes the law of faith on our heart. You believe Christ. That's the end of my law keeping. I got Christ. I got a perfect righteousness. I got a perfect righteousness. From which some, having swerved, have turned aside to vain jangling. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know the law's good if a man use it lawfully. If you use the law to declare all men sinners and guilty before God, you're using it for the reason it was given. That's the lawful use of it. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. Are you righteous in Christ? If you're righteous in Christ, you're not under the law. Not as a covenant, not as a condemnation, and not as a commandment. You're not under it. You need to learn what it is to be under the commandment of Christ. We're under a different commandment. We're under the commandment of Christ. We're not under those commandments. We're under the commandment of Christ. Who's the law made for? You say, I'm under the law. I'm keeping the law. Here's what you are. You're lawless. You're disobedient. You're ungodly. You're a sinner. You're unholy. You're profane. You're a murderer of fathers, a murderer of mothers. You're a manslayer. You're a whoremonger. You're defiling yourselves with mankind. You're a men-stealer. You're a liar. You're a perjured person. And anything else is contrary to sound doctrine. The law doesn't speak to anybody that's righteous. It only speaks to them that are under the law, that are guilty. It's only ones. The only one. The old covenant, including the Ten Commandments written on stone, was glorious, but it was a glory to be done away. The everlasting covenant excels because it's everlasting. Paul says it was a glory which was to be done away. He said it had no glory in comparison to the new covenant. He said it was to be done away, and that new covenant is the covenant that remains. Look at Hebrews 7.15. I want you to see this. I've said to you several times lately, the Ten Commandments, they're spiritual in the sense they reach to your heart and they declare you guilty within. But the Ten Commandments are carnal. That was a carnal covenant. It was just speaking to carnal men. That's all. It, it was to declare us guilty in our sinful flesh. That's all it was for. And it, was, it, was, it promised, the cold covenant promised earthly promises in an earthly Canaan. That's all God promised by it, if they could keep it. And they didn't keep it. God fulfilled every promise he made to Israel. They didn't fulfill one of them. But here's what God says about, look at Hebrews 7.15. Christ has made a high priest after the similitude of Melchizedek. After his similitude, there arises another priest who's made not after the law of a carnal commandment. He's not made under that old covenant, uh, uh, the Ten Commandments. He wasn't made after that 
covenant. That's a carnal commandment. But after the power of an endless life, for he testified, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. There's verily a disannulling. You know what disannulling means, don't you? It means it don't have any power. It's done away with. There's a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect. Never had. Life can't be obtained by it. But the bringing of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh to God. That's this new covenant. Perfection has been accomplished by this new covenant. Now, don't misunderstand me. Moses came down. He had those two tables of testimony. He had the old covenant. He had those Ten Commandments in his hand. Preachers say, well, now the believer's under the law in Christ's hand. He's under the Ten Commandments in Christ's hand. Well, Christ did come down with the Ten Commandments in his hand the first time he came down. He sure did. And in his heart. Sinless. Absolutely perfect. That means he's righteous. He had no sin from the womb. That's why he's the only one ever kept it. He's the only one that ever kept the ceremonial law of being the first to, to break the matrix because he's the only one that was born of a virgin. Nobody's ever kept the law. Not me and you. That's Christ's glory. Stop trying to steal Christ's glory. That belongs to him, not you and me. But he came down and he had it in his hand and in his heart and he fulfilled it. He didn't just abolish it. He fulfilled it. He said not one jot or tittle will pass away till all be fulfilled. And he fulfilled it all. Every bit of it. Not this, oh, I'm keeping the law and just what you see outwardly, but in your heart you're a devil. No, he kept it. He kept it in his heart and outwardly. And he magnified it. We see the magnification of the holy law in his holiness, who from a holy heart obeyed the whole commandment. We see the, we see the justice of the law in that when sin was found on his son, God spared not his own son. You think he's going to spare you? You think God's going to look at you and say, well, you did a pretty good job of keeping it. If you say you keep the law, you know what you're saying? You're saying you're righteous because that's the only thing that keeping the law is. You're saying you're just. That's the only thing keeping the law is. He's the only just one. And he justified all his people from our sin by going under the penalty of it. You want to see the goodness of the law? You want to see the love of the law? Here's what it takes to fulfill it. You got to be made a curse for God to declare him just. And you got to lay down your life under that curse to justify your brethren. That's the righteousness, the righteous love that fulfilled the law. And I'm some little puny maggot of a man's going to boast that he's kept the law? God forbid. God forbid. He writes the law of faith on our heart, and we believe him by his spirit. He sheds his love abroad in our heart, and we love him and our brethren by his spirit. And that's the light and easy yoke we're under. You're saying that a man can uh, commit adultery. They always list outward sins, don't they? No, I'm not saying a man can, but I'm saying you do it every day. But in Christ, we've never done it once. It's Christ's glory that he alone is the righteous fulfillment of the law. Moses' face shine without Moses knowing it. 
Christ didn't have to do anything to be the glory of God. Everything he did was glorious, and everything he did, we see the glory of God in his fulfillment. But that's what I'm saying. He is the righteousness we got to have. Christ is righteousness. A person is righteousness. They are ignorant of God's righteousness because Christ is that righteousness. It's not just a doctrine. It's not just a legal requirement. It's not just trying to understand how we're under the law or not under the law. You've got to have Christ, your righteousness. When you have him, you'll, you will understand it. Well, look what happened. They were fearful of that light, though. Verse 30, when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. That's me and you by nature. We're afraid of Christ getting all the glory. We want some of it. Our Lord said, everyone that does evil hates the light. He's talking about Christ, the glory of Christ. He won't come to the light. Why? Because his law keeping is going to be reproved as disobedience. And he won't let it go. He's not going to let it go. He's not going to say, that's my only righteousness is Christ. He ain't going to do it. To speak of Christ being the end of the law to the believer makes a will worker afraid because it tears down his false refuge. But Christ calls his redeemed to himself. Verse 31, Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment. All that the Lord had spoken with him in the mount. That's what Christ did. Our mediator, our prophet, he called his apostles and his preachers and his ministers first, just like he called the rulers, and then he called all his children to him through their gospel. And Moses' face shined now, remember, because he'd been there in God's presence. He heard the gospel. He, Christ said, he, he spoke of me. And he saw Christ. He understood this thing. And Moses came down, and, and here's what Christ's preacher is going to preach. He's going to say, this law says you're guilty. These Ten Commandments say you're guilty. And here's what this ceremonial law said. It says Christ is the high priest. He's got to represent you to God. He's the lamb. It's only his blood that put away our sin. He's the mercy seat. He's the only place God will have communion with you. He is, he is, the, he is the fulfillment. But he had that treasure in earthen vessels. He couldn't make them believe that. And I can't make a sinner believe this. That's the glory that belongs to Christ. The excellence that powers of him, not of us. What about the veil on and off? Here's what we see. Verse 33. So Moses had done speaking with him, he put a veil on his face. What does that mean? The veil on the face typifies the blindness of a natural man. Now, that doesn't mean he's not religious. That doesn't mean he's not, he's not zealous for the law, but he's blind. It's the veil on the heart of the carnal sinner. Go to 2 Corinthians 3, and I'll show you that. Second Corinthians 3, verse 12, Paul says, Seeing then we have such hope, we have this glorious new covenant. We use great plainness of speech. We try to make sure everybody understands what we're saying. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that law which is abolished. What's at the end of that law? Paul said, Christ is the end. They couldn't see Christ. They couldn't see Christ. They couldn't see to the end of the law. They couldn't see what the law was saying. Listen, but their minds were blinded. 
For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. That's so of every natural man. Which veil's done away in Christ. That's the only way the veil's can be done away. But even to this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. When we preach Christ and we preach he's the end of the law, the end of that which is abolished, we say he, he, he delivered us from the ordinances that were against us, nailing them to his cross. And when we preach that, men that can't hear and won't bow to Christ and won't look to Christ alone, here's why. 2 Corinthians 4.3 says, If our gospel be hid, it's hid to, hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Here's the only way they're going to be saved, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. That's what we see in Moses' faith. But when Moses went before the Lord, he took that veil off. Why? Why did he take the veil off when he went before the Lord? Here's what it pictured. Back in, uh, uh, back in uh, 2 Corinthians 3.14, he said, Which veil is done away in Christ. Look at verse 16. Nevertheless, when it, the heart, shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. When Moses went in before the Lord and saw Christ, the veil was gone. And he said, when your hearts turn to Christ, this veil will be gone. You're going to understand that law, what it says. Now the Lord is that spirit. We can't do this. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. Now here's, see what he says there? We're not talking about just the glory of a covenant, the glory of a new covenant. The glory we're talking about is Christ's glory. We got to be turned to Christ's glory. We got, the veil won't be removed. We behold Christ is the glory of God. He's the one that's going to get all the glory. But when we behold him... We're changed into the same image from the glory of that old covenant law to glory of Christ our righteousness himself. And that's by the Spirit of the Lord. Only Christ can do that. Look down at 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. He said, if the Son shall make you free, what's he making us free from? The law. You'll be free indeed. You'll be under the law of liberty. You'll be under the gospel of God's grace. Then you're free indeed. Then you're under a light and easy rule of faith and love. Then you're under, not under law, you're under grace. What does that mean? You ever get, it, get fearful that you're not keeping the law? Does a preacher ever make you fearful you're not keeping the law? And by that, he, get, he, he constrains you and you go back to doing what you ought to do. That's a lie of hell is what that is, and you're in bondage. That's not the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God doesn't bring us into bondage again. The Spirit of God frees us from bondage. He purges your conscience from dead works so that now you serve the living God from a heart that wants to. Wants to be in His presence. Wants to be among His people. Wants to hear His gospel. Wants to forgive. Wants to be merciful. Doesn't want to take somebody to the law. Why? Because He don't do that to me. <laughs> He's freed me. And I want to treat my breath. I want to do them like I want to be done. It's freedom. It's peace. It's rest. 
It's joy. You couldn't pay me a million dollars to go into a Reformed church and sit for, for not even two days. I'm serious. You couldn't. For one, I'm not going to hear, my, hear the glory of my Redeemer shared with a man. But I wouldn't do it. I would not do it. We, we don't worship different doctrine. We worship different gods. We speak plainly. We speak boldly. And that's so. We're not worshiping different doctrine. We're worshiping different gods. The God we worship succeeded in what he did. He don't need your help. And when he works in the heart of his people, he makes his people obedient from the heart. Not just this pharisaical, I'm doing what I'm doing because I don't want the preacher to see me. Well, guess what? Paul said, he ain't keeping the law either. He ain't. Your preacher ain't keeping the law. He ain't never kept the law. He's doing what he does so you see him, so you keep paying him, so he can have his nice house and his nice car. He ain't keeping the law. And he won't preach this message because if he does, you'll take that away from him. It's called the offense of the cross. And a man won't preach it until God gives him boldness to stand on his hind legs and tell the truth about God. The veil on Moses' face reminds us of one more thing, brethren. Even as believers right now, we see through a glass darkly. But this change is coming, and it's coming in perfection. The day we behold Christ, we're going to behold him face to face. Right now, just, just beholding his glory through faith makes a miraculous change. But just imagine when we see him face to face. We now see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Brethren, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we shall appear, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Brethren, enjoy the worship of God. Enjoy it. If it's a burden to you, if it's a chore to you, if, it, if it's something you got to do, you're not doing it. Not before God. You're not doing it. But if you enjoy worshiping God, if you really enjoy hearing Christ get all the glory and man getting none, if you really enjoy resting in Christ, if you really enjoy Him, and you like to read His Word, and you enjoy hearing of Him. Rejoice rejoice in Him. Walk in Him. And, and He will make you walk in Him. He will... Paul called it being married to a new husband. And you know, when you're married to a husband, it's from that husband that you're going to produce fruit if you're a woman. You're going to produce fruit from that husband. And that's the only way we produce fruit. It's from Christ. It's from Christ. Well, like Paul said, I delight in the law of God. I delight in the Ten Commandments from the inward man. But I'm not going to lie and tell folks I've kept the law. Because I see another law in my members warring against that law of the inward man. And in my flesh is nothing good but sin. That's mixed with everything. There's only one that kept the law. That's Christ. He's the only one. Oh, boy, Paul, you go through the scriptures, you see how many places. Paul said people's observing days and times and seasons or whatever. And Paul said, I'm fearful of you. You scare me. You want to go back and dig up that old husband? He's dead. You're dead to him. 
but you want to go back and you want to engage in necrophilia and your religion be a religion of the dead, of digging up the dead husband and worshiping him and putting flowers on his grave? No, we follow Christ. He is called walking after the Spirit. It's called being led of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in his people through this message. And he makes you follow him. He mortifies your flesh. He strengthens your inner man. He makes you follow Christ. It's him. And so, brethren, this is the children's bread. This is, and I pray Christ doesn't come down from Mount Sinai. He comes down from Mount Zion through this message. And he comes down not to his child with the law of Ten Commandments in his hand. He comes down with the covenant of grace in his hand. And says, I fulfilled that for you. There's forgiveness with God that he may be feared. That's the only way you're going to be made to hate your sin and love him and follow him. I could sit up here and whip you with the law and whip you with the law and make you so angry that all you'd want to do is just, just get out of here as fast as you can so you could go break it. But I could preach Christ as the end of the law and how that he's the fulfillment of it, and he'll melt that heart. He'll melt that heart, and he'll mortify that flesh, and he'll make you want to follow him and make you hate your sin from the heart. He gets all the glory. What scriptures say? Of God are you in Christ, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So that he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. He's everything. Amen.